Hello, welcome to the next in the series of the ISE's podcasts. Um, today I'm with Deborah McCormack, who is both ISE chair and also head of graduate recruitment over at Pinson Masons. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Debs. Um, Debs, would you just like to introduce yourself and, and what your role is within your organisation? Sure. So um, my name is Debs McCormack. I head up the early talent function at Pinson Masons, which is a global law firm. Our early talent department um, looks after everything from school work experience um, through graduate recruitment strategies, so um, attraction and um, onboarding of our graduate trainee solicitors. Um, and recently, so within the past two years, we've also taken on the school leaver apprenticeship remit. So we have recently piloted um, a series of level three apprenticeships and in January of this year, 2020, we launched our first Level 7 Solicitor Apprenticeship Programme. Wow. So what is it that drove the change within your, your firm to make to sort of get, get apprenticeships on, on board? So that's a good question. A, a couple of things. People won't be surprised to hear that the levy was definitely um, a bit of a catalyst because finance directors knew that they were going to be um, paying this additional tax on behalf of the business and also knew that there's a way that we could um, claw back some of that tax. Um, But also um, diversifying our early talent pipeline is really important to our business Um, and we wanted to work within our local communities. So we have um, offices in a number of um, the major cities in England as well as in Scotland and and Northern Ireland but initially in England um, to work with local schools and colleges um, on establishing a new legal and biz ops focused apprenticeship programme so we haven't chosen to focus solely on um, legal as you might expect for a law firm but actually we wanted to diversify um, our organic local early talent pipeline for teams like HR and learning, finance, um, information security, um, cyber security, IT and procurement so we've now got a number of different apprenticeship standards um, that are being run within the business. So that's quite a broad range. And how easy have you found it to actually um, find that school find school leaves to, 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 to apply and sign up for those apprenticeships? So I would say it's been a bit of a, a slow burn. Um, we, although we have um, a number of different standards, we're not looking for large numbers um, for any of those apprenticeship pathways at the moment. Um, so the first couple of years um, has been a bit a bit of a pilot, so since November 2017. So we've we've had a steady number of applicants um, and in enough to run you know a decent interview process, you know, to have enough applications to, to screen and sift. We've initially worked with the um, National Apprenticeship Service, so we've advertised opportunities through um, the government website. Um, and we've also worked with apprenticeship training providers to help get the word out there, as well as other suppliers to help us advertise. So I think a, a slow start, but now that as awareness of apprenticeships as a, a legitimate credible high quality alternative to the graduate route that momentum is really starting to build um, I think word is now out on the street. 
So you mentioned um, training providers in there, because of course there's the attraction piece, and also I guess the core of what we wanted to talk about this podcast is around sort of program design and, and future proofing those programs or, sure. or taking on board sort of skills development needs for any organisation in the future. So when you've worked with those training providers, you know, how have you gone about sort of designing the programs? Do they all, in your experience, offer pretty much the same templates or, or is there a bespoke nature to what you do? Um, I think there's a bit of both. So there's a blend um, and I would say that you're, if you are looking to enter the apprenticeship space for the first time, procurement, sourcing of your apprenticeship, apprentice supplier partner or partners is really really important particularly if you don't have resource within your team that um, is already has great kind of technical expertise and, and knowledge about the the space that you're entering because apprenticeships are heavily regulated and so it is quite a technical area and um, so the relationship that you enter into your apprenticeship provider is a real partner if you get that relationship right you work very very closely with them they can be an amazing font of all knowledge in relation to um, getting the most out of the levy um, in relation to how you um, best target and attract candidates what um, what process you should put in place for school leavers for example um, in terms of assessing them um, given that they haven't got as much life experience as, um, as a graduate has and also then obviously there's your course design so I think there's a blend and um, there's obviously the, the technical knowledge element of an apprenticeship standard which um, is assessed on and which is pretty much prescribed um, but then there's the other softer content um, and perhaps the delivery model, the way that you want that delivered by your apprenticeship provider. And that's that's the element that you can work with them to bespoke. So for example, um, when we launched our initial programme in 2017, we worked with our training provider to put in place a kind of pre-employment, pre-induction. So to bring all of the new apprenticeship candidates together, a bit of networking for them to get to know each other as a peer group um, and to deliver some soft skills training with them. So initially it was some really informal networking skills training, but just to get them confident and comfortable speaking to each other, speaking to um, some of the new people that they would be working with and also meeting people from the apprenticeship training provider. Um, And that was a really nice icebreaker. So that's the kind of thing that you can obviously quite easily do um, as part of an early talent function, but partnering with your um, apprenticeship provider. And uh, you mentioned actually some of the work you do pre-onboarding um, have you found that you've had to approach apprentices very differently to graduates because you do you mentioned some of that sort of that they're at a different stage in life maybe not as much experience is that something you've had to factor in in a significant way um we've actually mirrored our approach um that we have for our graduates it's not as big a talent pool at the moment so um you know, for, for example, for, for our graduates, we have a huge amount of prescribed regulatory training that we um, deliver in a front-loaded way. So we spend a bit longer with our graduates because once they get out into the business, it's then quite difficult for us to get our grubby paws back on them to deliver um, some of that training. So we tend to front-load quite a lot for our graduates. Um, the 20% off the job element for apprentices actually 
took some of the pressure off in that regard um, because they can do, obviously, we, we decided to structure our model as a day a week out of the business. So we were very clear about ring fencing that one day a week when apprentices wouldn't be at their desks and they would be um, at the um, the local um, university or institution to receive their their technical and, and apprenticeship training or as a study um, a study day for the apprentice candidate so we've we've mirrored what we do for graduates in a way by doing this kind of in, an induction um, led approach just to I suppose to manage their expectations and um, to be clear about what they should expect from us as a business so the pastoral support that's in place for them um, how work will be delegated to them who, how they'll be supervised who will be supervising them so some of that softer stuff to set them up for success um, but also so that they're clear um, about what's expected of them as an apprentice now that they are making that transition from um, education into the world of work and still absolutely with one foot in the world of, of education. So you know, just really to introduce them um, gently to the workplace but also just to, to manage expectations. And do you find with apprentices, do they need a little bit more hand-holding than your graduates? Do they get up to speed pretty quickly? Or? Yeah, so I think the honest answer to that is it depends on the candidate. So, um, and I think that's exactly the same for graduates. There are some graduates who are incredibly self-sufficient and they get with the programme and they make the adjustment into the world of work um, seemingly very easily. Um, and, and within our early talent function, we have a, a dedicated graduate development team. So we've mirrored that approach for our apprentices and we have a, a dedicated apprenticeship officer who gives all of the same support and guidance to our new apprentices um, and apprentice supervisors as our graduate development team do with our trainee solicitors and with the trainee solicitor supervisors. So I think given our experience so far, yeah, I think it is. it can be a tough transition coming from school um, straight into work and then obviously still balancing the study that you have to do for um, ongoing portfolio of evidence and um, your endpoint assessments. However, um, with support from really hands-on kind of committed apprentice supervisors, giving them a bit of guidance and also the pastoral support that they've got from um, myself and the apprenticeship officer, I think we've structured that um, pretty well but it does depend on I would say individual candidates. I'm Tom, your Membership Development Manager at the ISE. I just wanted to remind you about the amazing ISE referral programme. You will earn a £200 ISE voucher for every employer member that joins our community. You can spend the vouchers on our conferences, courses and even the online store. Please email membership at ise.org.uk with all of your referrals. That's membership at ise.org.uk.
You mentioned the procurement piece and obviously dealing with with, um, with external providers. Are there any sort of um, tips you would give to other employers or maybe providers as well who are sort of you know embarking on this journey? Well, I suppose that depends what kind of organisation you are. So for a, a big organisation like um, a law firm, we've got a really strict procurement process and in some ways that makes things easier because there's just a there are a set of steps that you have to go through whether you like it or not um, but in other ways it, it obviously can complicate the the landscape but we we just try to use that to our advantage and um, what I would say is that do, do your diligence so um, use a, a network and a community like the ISE to um, speak to colleagues who maybe have got experience in the apprenticeship space um, do your diligence and understand um, the standard pathway that you want to provide and then be clear about the players in that space so the providers who could um, partner with you and then I, I would actually run a, even if you're quite a small organization I would run a bit of a mini um, procurement exercise so just get people to um, to give you their business case and their proposal in terms of what they would be able to to do for you, not just in delivery of the kind of bog standard um, apprenticeship pathway, but also um, what they might do to more closely partner with you, bespoke stuff for you, help you understand some of that technical stuff around um, around the levy and around the apprenticeship regulatory landscape. Because if you're new to it, it is quite it can be quite um, overwhelming at first. But I would definitely say do your diligence, and I think the ISE is a great forum of contacts to help people do that diligence, and people would be more than happy to to share their experience. You've been a solicitor yourself. You know, I, I hear lots <laughs> oh, of talk about <laughs> about um, about how the profession has changed and is going to change. You know, technology, AI, all that kind of stuff. Um, is that something that you factor into who you recruit or how you build your your apprentice programs? That's a really interesting question. So I suppose that at the moment we have recruited for very um, specific apprenticeship standards. Um, definitely, the legal standard they are looking at building in um, to the new solicitor's qualifying examination, which is the end point assessment for people taking that level seven solicitor apprenticeship. Suppliers are looking at how they build in an understanding of legal technology, what it needs to be used for, what clients expect from firms using legal technology. So that's being looked at. Something else that we're working on um, with a consortium of other employers is a new legal technologist standard. So that's part of a trailblazer group. And we're looking for the Institute for Apprenticeships and Technical Education to approve a, a new standard, which would be a legal technology specific um, apprenticeship standard, which would be amazing because that of itself is a legitimate career pathway within a law firm now. So um, in answer to your question, yes, we are looking at all of these things. And what's it like sort of creating a new standard going through that, that process? Is it painstaking? Is it... <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's painstaking. Um, it's being well chaired by um, a colleague at another law firm. I, I would say people are being really collaborative. So it's a great example of employers getting together um, to, to share their experience of legal 
technology and what they need staff to do now and in, in what they anticipate staff um, to do in that space in the future. So I would say it's actually a, a really good opportunity to to come together with other organisations and to share knowledge and expertise, which you know it, it isn't really the crown the crown jewels, but it could definitely help shape the profession and help shape a pathway for new colleagues, that next generation of talent to access the legal profession, but to do something really, really valuable and worthwhile, you know, a, a gap within the legal profession in terms of um, expertise at the moment. So it would be brilliant if we could get that approved. Would it be fair to say that um, you mentioned the levy and of course that changed the way the money worked for a large organisation. If you kind of took the, the put the funding to one side now from all that you've learned with apprenticeships do you think they really are you know a a a significantly different you know really good route for for getting talent into your business you know if the levy money was taken away do you think you firms would stick with apprentices and again a really interesting question i think as I said at the beginning, the levy's been a catalyst. But yes, if we park that, um, I would say two years in, um, I sort of retained a healthy cynicism. So I, I was waiting to see. But I'm really pleased now that our apprentices, and I can only speak from the experience within our business, so firsthand, our experience is that our apprentices are becoming their, you know, their own best advert. So I would say that they are definitely the poster children for people still at school and considering their options. Um, if they don't want to be lumbered with university debt, um, and they're just really keen to get cracking and to learn in a slightly different way. So a blend of on-the-job, hands-on experience and still getting the benefit of the educational piece, then I would say if you feel that that's the right model for um, for you, then I, I would encourage you to, um, to give it a go. I think there's still is plenty of room for a blended approach so I think there is there are enough opportunities for um, for graduates and apprentices it's just a different model so yeah I think the, the levy has been a catalyst but I would say that now it feels to us as if it would be the right thing to do in terms of diversifying the talent pools that we fish in we now fish in a graduate pool, but we also fish in a school leaver pool. Um, and by definition, that will help us diversify our, our early talent pipeline going forward. It's interesting. There's, the levy gets so much attention, I think we forget in our industry that actually quite a lot of sectors were looking at school leavers anyway yeah. before the levy came on board and were starting to look at different programmes recognising that, that huge talent pool that, that exists in that space. It's just speeded up the process, I think. Mm, yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, you mentioned diversity there. Do you find that actually you get, is it a different type of student who comes onto your apprentice programme? You know, is the gender mix different? Is it different social backgrounds? I haven't got the stats in front of me, um, but anecdotally, I would say that, yeah, it's a healthy mix. Um, we have, in law generally, there are more 
young women coming into the profession from a graduate perspective. So I think the, the last time I looked, the stats were something between 70 and 80% female um, graduates to 30 or 20% male graduates. Um, and our um, our graduate talent pool is reflective of that. So I think at the moment we've got something like 69% of our graduate trainee solicitors are women um, and the other 31% are are men and I think off the top of my head um, our apprentice our legal apprentices it's something similar so we've got over 60% um, female to um, about 35% or something like that young men I would say um, again yes um, they're a real mix in terms of really healthy state school representation um, non-selective state school representation um, and a, a broader um, ethnic mix as well Yes, I think that, that mirrors what we hear from some of the other employers when we've done our survey, which is you know, we ask them, why are you using the levy? And top of the list actually is, is talent, um, then comes diversity, and then comes the levy. So all three are in the mix, but it seems to me that, as is your experience, employers, you know, are, are, it, it, it's, it, it's a broad strategy that actually is more about just, just filling vacancies and, and using the levy. I think definitely candidates are looking at apprenticeship opportunities um, as a way to minimise student debt for sure and so from our perspective that is great if we can give a candidate an opportunity who wouldn't have had one because they wouldn't have taken on that student debt to study something expensive like law for example but they can now access the profession more readily because they can earn as they learn that can only be a good thing but I think you have to be quite targeted about your approach in relation to that so you need to be looking at um, the schools that are in and around um, where your base is for example so where you might have a have an office um, to, to maybe partner with schools that are in um, socially less privileged areas and, and look at it from that perspective. Uh, fantastic, Debs. I think that's covered all the questions that I was going to ask. Is there anything that we we haven't touched on that you thought we um, we would have done in this in this podcast? No, I, I can't think of anything um, except really just to say to to members that it, the IICA is a, a great forum and a community for there are no questions that are um, are too daft when you're setting up something new. I know that myself and my colleagues at Pinsent Masons that I've worked on this programme with over the past sort of three or so years, every day has been a school day for us. We have learned so much from colleagues within the ISE um, and particularly the apprenticeship providers that we partner closely with. We can't thank them enough for being so generous with you know, their knowledge and expertise. So if you are looking to get into the apprenticeship space, don't be daunted, um, you know, do, do just get in touch with, with colleagues and the ISE is a really good place to start if you're looking to, to build your knowledge. Fantastic, Debbie, you've done all the plugging for me. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, and I, just to reiterate that um, to, to members who are listening into this podcast, if you haven't been to the website yet, um, we've got a lot of apprentice resources on there, lots of links, lots of places to get more advice. Um, we do our apprentice networking group, which we're, 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 we'd love to have more people come along to. And we also have a WhatsApp group around apprenticeships, which, um, which members can join if you just send us your details.
Um, all that's left for me to do is to really thank you, Debs. I know how busy you are, so taking the time to come out and record this podcast, we very much appreciate it. My pleasure. Um, thank you very much. And to those of you listening in, um, look out for the third podcast, which will be coming along shortly. 